Colossians 3, 15 through 24. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other and step with God's rhythm. None of this going off and doing your own thing and cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting them in ways that honor the Master. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Do not take advantage of them. Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the Master no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Whatever you do, work from your soul for your real master, for God, and not for men. Confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. Thank you for that. What does after Easter life look like? That's kind of been our question for the last few weeks. What does a life following Jesus in the resurrection parade that, uh, that we you know, all proclaimed, what does that entail? A life lived after the adversaries of our souls within and without have been destroyed by the finished work of Jesus on the cross, his body broken, his blood poured out, and yet the symbols of those things, right? Because Jesus is alive, alive again and shepherding us still. What does life in that reality actually look like? Well, we've said that such a life is whole. It's a life complete, a life at peace. The word shalom in our scriptures is the, is the word that's used to describe it. Or a life complete and whole, completely who we are meant to be, fully in the image of God, to do and participate in life with Him as we are created to do and participate in life with Him. And so it's not just a life whole, but it's also a life holy, a life set apart for something purposeful, a life a life made to be a part of something, created to participate in something that is good. A life lived as the palm in the cedar, if you remember our, our intro into the, song, into the Sabbath, our Sabbath song, Psalm 92. The palm in the cedar, the peace and purpose of a Sabbath. We've said that after Easter life begins there, begins in a Sabbath, with resting in the very good work of the one who gets our life and all life started and restarted. In other words, life again, life anew, life resurrected begins where all life began. In Sabbathing, being holy with God and others by ceasing, by stopping, by resting in what already is and is done. Yet contrary to what we might have heard, we are not made for rest. Though rest was made for us. We are not made for rest. Rest was made for us. That's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 2. The Sabbath was made for humanity, not humanity for the Sabbath. For thus says the Lord in Isaiah, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you will be saved. Again, Sabbath is something for you. Return to it, repentance, turn back, grab hold of it, and you'll find salvation. And quietness and trust will be your strength. But you were unwilling. The irony of our longing to only rest, the irony of our longing to get to the end of labor, is that it's the unwillingness to return to the blessed and holy rhythm of Sabbathing into the good that follows that makes the days that come after Sabbath, the days between the set-apart day, feel like toil 
that would be a toil against us. Remember, the Sabbath serves us by keeping us grounded in the good news that God is with us. Not only is He not against us, He is active and present amid all our daily living, ensuring that His foreness actually changes us, actually transforms us. And from that place of peace, in a day we get to practice the gospel, practice being and living in the good news. We might actually be, do, be ones who can do the thing we were made to do, to participate in the good work for which we have been crafted, living purposefully in the peace of life, cultivating our lives in peace, living in harmony with what is created and being recreated as we become holy and holy people. That's the rhythm that we're meant to live into. That's the rhythm we're hopefully learning and trying to call one another into. Sabbath, as we've learned, is an invitation we, that we can and do refuse. Just like we did in, in our history past, right? That's been the story of our people of faith. But work, on the other hand, work is unavoidable. Sabbath may be a choice, but work is not. No one can avoid work, despite our cultural and technological aspirations to do so. We cannot avoid it. But one can work well, can work that is worship and worshipful, or one can work wickedly in opposition to the good. For work is this. Work is cultivating life. Good. I'll explain that in a second. Work is cultivating life. It's the making, creating, and sustaining of life. That's what work is. Whatever other things you want to th think, work, think work might be, whatever other limitations you want to put on it or cultural identities that you want to form to it or even like understandings of 9 to 5, Monday through Friday or what's going around now like Monday through Wednesday work. <laughs> Four-day weekends, three-day works, right? That it, work is, in our scriptures, work simply is the cultivating of life and life that is meant to be good because life that's not good isn't really life at all. It takes life, right? So it's not just cultivating life, it's not just surviving life, it's, it's trying to make, create, sustain something good, living that's good. Or as Colossians says it, and in everything which you make, manufacture, and construct your life. When it says literally in the, in, in the ESV, if you have Colossians 3 verse 17, you can, turn, you can turn there, where it says, and whatever you do, in word or actions, literally in the Greek, the whatever you do part of it, the everything you do part of it, is everything you make, manufacture, and construct. Everything that you actually put together in your life, whether it be through your words or through your actions, do it all to the name of the Lord Jesus. Our work, whatever it is, contends Tom Nelson, whether we are paid for it or not, is our specific human contribution to God's ongoing recreation to the common good. Whatever box we tend to put work in, work according to our scriptures is the labor of cultivating, of making, creating, sustaining life that is good, a part of the good, the very good of creation. At least that's what work is meant to be, our role in making good. Look and listen again to how Paul describes the life of those who have been raised with Christ from Colossians chapter 3. Let's just kind of walk through it and I'll see, see if we can see what Paul draws out about work. Again, this is for the people who have been raised with Christ, living resurrection. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ be the beat and rhythm of your life, that it the beat that you follow in life. 
Let the peace of Christ, the Sabbath of Christ, the wholeness and completeness of Christ, the finished work of Christ, your finished life in Christ, be the rhythm by which you live out life, the, the beat by which you follow and you go through your day. To which indeed you were called in one body, to which you were remade to live in harmony, to move and step together. This thing that you're called into is a calling that draws you into union with others, with other people, with the time and place in which you're created and exist, within relationships, within labor, all those things. Bring, you call into one harmonious movement. And be thankful. Literally, the word be thankful is to acknowledge God's grace works well. Be ones who acknowledge God's grace, His good purposes and design actually work well. It's the idea of letting, like recognizing that the way in which you've been formed, the people and the things in which you've been formed to be a part of are good, and therefore your heart is full of gratitude. It is worshipful. So your work, the thing that which you're formed for, is meant to be your worship. Be thankful. Acknowledge that the what, how God's formed you, where he's placed you, and the relationships and context, we'll explain that in a second, in which he's, in which he's placed you and put you for the good, the place that you are meant to be to cultivate life good, is actually a good design, a good plan, and can be done well. Because God's good design and good plan is what it is. Paul goes on, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ live with you by the Spirit who brings to life the words of the word. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Helping each other know, see, listen, and follow the foundational rhythm, right? Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Letting the poems and prayers voiced in music with others be a primary means of aligning your heart's beat. In some way, this visual of Paul's exhortation, this let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach it and admonish one another, sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs together, sounds at least a little bit, maybe like a Sabbath worship, a Sunday service, doesn't it? Letting your mind's attention and heart's affections settle into the peace of life with God. Having a time together with others to align with your hearts, with His, with creation. Listening to Him speak. Helping one another know what and how to listen and to respond. Joining voices together in prayer or praise or read scriptures or whatever it may be as we rest. Experience the wholeness of God for us and with us together. What else more does an assembly need to be sacred? Yet Paul doesn't stop with this Sabbath, but like creation begins there. Paul says, life lived, raised with Christ. Life led by Christ into the rhythm and beat of the life that we are made for begins in this place of worship, this context of community that coming together, a sacred assembly, a Sabbathing place. But then in verse 17 he says, and do whatever you do, everything in which you make, manufacture, or construct your life. That's your work, right? That's work. Paul says, from this place of worship, go into your work. Be about your work. Everything in which you make, manufacture, construct your life, in word or in deed. Because what do words do? Words create. What do deeds do? Word, deeds create. They make, they sustain, they cultivate in some sort of way. Everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, in loyalty, and in step, 
and with, a, and with honor to the one who, again, rules your hearts, the one who brings you together in harmony into some purposeful action. Giving thanks, once again, worshipful, as an act of worship, acknowledging God's grace works well. To the Father, through Him, through Jesus, worshiping in a life lived through Jesus. But just in case, in the generality of whatever you do, we lose the call to move from the peace of Sabbath into the peacemaking of work in the fundamental places of life. Because in truth, that's what we do, right? We hear the word work, and automatically we go into some sort of whatever vision of work we have. Maybe your particular work, right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's a natural kind of movement. We go into the work we have. But, but the truth is, all of our work looks different, and all of our work has the same constraints. And most of the time, we don't think about the basics of cultivating our lives as work, do we? We separate work and family. We separate work and friends. We separate work and play. We separate work from everything else. And yet it seems like our scriptures say that's actually wrong. That work is life. It's not all of life, but it's a big part of life. It's whatever you do in word and deed to cultivate living, to cultivate living good. Right? So just for a second, just kind of cast out whatever idea you think of, of as work and just let what Paul, the, the images that Paul brings us into be like, this is where work happens. Right? This is what work looks like. And just be willing to kind of let your idea of work be confronted with what Paul kind of, Paul says for us. How Paul moves from the generals to the specifics. In verse 18, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. Marriage, family, is work. Isn't that the primary place where life is cultivated? I mean, even just fundamentally, as like, even if you're not married, right? Like, relationships, being in the family, whether you're in a, in a marriage right now, whether you are one who came from a marriage, because a lot of us have, right? Or whether you're, like, in a family unit in some sort. Family is the fundamental place in which life is made whether it's good or bad or otherwise, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Listen, Cohen and Louie, in everything. For this pleases the Lord. <laughs> Fathers, I'm listening to this too, Louie, don't worry. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. So finally, we go from family, those under authority in family, to the one who's in authority in family, kind of, right? At least in this time frame, fathers. Slaves, bond servants, those enslaved, those under the employment of others might be more politically correct in our time and place. But in this place, would have been those who have somehow had their lives under the ownership of others, which is a lot like children to a degree, right, before that. Do everything to those, those who are your earthly masters, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Later, Paul would say, in a few verses later, in chapter 4, verse 1, earthly masters, be kind to your slaves in the same way fathers are meant to be kind to their children. Why? Because ultimately you serve another master, and that master is Jesus. So you're one who's under authority just as you're one who's in authority. But you see, the work that we do, the words and deeds that are, that are meant to construct life, to make life, to manufacture life, to cultivate life is good and step in honor with the very good. Paul says it's done in our 
daily, ordinary, and even undesired relationships and responsibilities. Yeah, there's a part of it that's vocational. You can make an argument that bond servants and, and masters, the different ways it's been translated throughout history, could lead to an employer and employee kind of relationship. There's probably some truth to that. But remember, when is th this is written? In a first century where choosing your career wasn't really a choice. Right? You were born into it. Even if the person, even the career you are born into was just your dad, dad's line of work, or your mom's line of work, right? Whether that was family, like making the family, leading the family, or whatever, like a lot of times, like moms, even in the first century, would have, have some sort of way of contributing economically to the family as well. Proverbs 31, pretty clear. Like, so like there's, there, there's always been that piece, right? But as a child, you weren't free to just choose whatever you wanted to. You were bound by whatever limitations were around you, like that you were just born into, right? So the, the idea that life is worked out and cultivated in places that we don't necessarily choose. Husbands and wives, maybe there's a little more choice there. But again, first century, there wasn't a whole lot of choice, even in who you married. Life, the words and deeds that create and make cultivate life good, are done in the ordinary, daily, and even undesired relationships and responsibilities. To make a life good, to be a peacemaker. Notice how Paul's description hints at the places where lack of peace manifests in each of these relationships, right? In each of these roles and responsibilities. But to be a peacemaker requires the labor of intimacy and submission. Because what is work but submission? I mean, even in its best, right? Even in doing something you, you absolutely are infatuated with and feel like you're completely and totally gifted for. Like being an animal surgeon, right? Like, I'm pretty sure you had to submit to a lot of things to be able to do that job well, right? Or a dentist, right? Or an accountant, or a lawyer, or like a mom even, a dad even. In truth, there's all kinds of acts to do the work of living requires submission. All work is submission to something. Submission to authority and service, to respect and commitment, whether that's at home or in the office, and most importantly, of the heart. For the work of cultivating a good life with others is not a matter of laboring for the other's favor, but with a single-mindedness of heart, an awe and wonder in response to God with us and us with God. Because what is Paul continued to say in verse 22, don't just, don't just obey your masters. And again, like you got to follow the, the line of, of thought in the original language. There's not the clear breaks that we have. So he's talking about husbands, wives, parents, children, slaves and masters, all in this whole idea of now don't do any of these things, submission or love or service or kindness or obedience as a way of eye service. Don't do any of this on the, so just so that on the surface you can be seen as good. Or just so that on the surface you can get by with life. Just on the surface so you don't create waves. As people pleasers. Doing it for the, for the favor of those who you labor for. Doing it so that you just get something out of the relationship. That you get something out. That you're able, again, just to move to the next day. But rather with sincerity. That is simple, single-mindedness of heart single-mindedness of heart, fearing 
the Lord, being in awe and wonder in the presence of God. The fear of the Lord isn't an idea. The fear of the Lord happens when we're with God. All the examples of those who were struck down by fear of the Lord were ones who were struck down in the presence of the Lord, not by the idea of the Lord, but by the presence of the Lord. So having a single-mindedness of heart, we enter into these relationships. Having ones who enter into this relationship with a sincerity of heart, we're in the presence of the Lord in these relationships, in these responsibilities, in these roles. Maybe this will be helpful for you. I know it's been for many. Pastor Tom Nelson impresses on his faith family and his family himself that we live and work before an audience of one. Now, we don't, what I love about the way he says this is that we don't just live and work to please an audience of one, to earn something from an audience of one, to get something from an audience of one, but rather we live and work before the audience of one, in the presence of the one, and the only one who gives life and makes life good. While our work, our words and deeds are done to cultivate life good, inevitably means that we have others on our minds and hearts as we labor, right? It's, Paul is not saying we don't do things on behalf of other people. That would be contrary to the whole idea of love and mercy and grace, right? But to live and work before an audience of one reminds us that our labor is never too low, too little, too lonely to be worshipped. It's never, it's whatever our labor is, Whatever we've been called into in those responsibilities and roles and relationships, whatever the words and deeds that are required to make things good are, are never too high or too low, too out front, too behind the scenes, too little or too much to be seen and known before the Lord, to be worshipful and honoring of the Lord. So that means none of us, no matter what we do, whether we're paid for it or not, no matter what our primary labor is in cultivating life, we have no excuse but to work in a worshipful way. Whatever we do, we do to the glory of the Lord because God is with us and we are with Him. Whatever we do in the work of cultivating a, life, a good life in our relationships and roles and responsibilities is an exercise of worship or it's not. Everything we do to cultivate life, everything we do in our roles, daily roles, responsibilities, relationships, is either an act of worship or it's not. That's why, as you remember a couple weeks ago, we could say, as Dorothy Sayers does, that the only Christian work is good work well done. Work, scripturally, is the making, creating, cultivating of life good. But, as we all know, and as Paul directly attests, it's not easy. You don't have to read into Paul's exhortations to pick up on the fact that he assumes that our daily labors will incur points of conflict, points of tension and stress, of hardship and the like, right? And think about what Paul encourages. He encourages wives to submit, husbands to cherish, to love, to do everything out of love, to not be harsh with, children to obey, those under authority to obey, those in authority to be kind and merciful and gracious because they are truthfully under authority. That's all the places where the tension's felt, right? Those are the, the realities of what makes work life difficult. The lack of submission, the fighting against the work itself, 
In fact, Paul's exhortations go right to the heart of the disturbances in making life good with the assumption that there is a way, though, of peace. That indeed there is a way even in the midst of the tensions of work. Again, our scriptures are beautiful in so many ways, but one of the things that make them most beautiful is they never are naive about life. But in their lack of naivety, there's still this assumption that there's a way forward, a way of peace. That there's a way to be a peacemaker in word and deed. So how? How is work worshipful, honoring of God's good design and destiny, and not wicked, in opposition to the good? How do we work well? Quickly, let me just say these things, just as a way of, of hopefully it will be helpful. How do we make work worshipful? How do we work well? First off, we love that for which we work and those who we work with. We love that for which we work. We love work. The work we're created for. The work that we're in. And those whom we work with. Here's how Paul put it. Earlier in the text in Colossians 3, verse 10, he says, Put on the new self, the resurrected self, which is being renewed, which is being made new, right? How is it being made new? In knowledge after the image of its creator. In other words... You're being renewed back to that original image in Genesis 1 and 2, right? We're getting back into the rhythm of peace and purpose, of cultivating life in the garden, right? That's what we're moving back in towards, right? Through Jesus. That's what N.T. Wright said a few weeks ago when we were talking about work, right? You remember all those things. And so with that in mind, he says, Now put on love, which binds everything, not just everyone. He could have just said everyone together, right? But he didn't. He said everything together. How is life, all of life, not just your relationships, but your relationship to what you do and to what's been done on earth, in the earth, through the earth, from the earth? How does all that find harmony? Through love. Together in perfect harmony, in sync without losing distinction. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, in sync without losing distinction. Only when we love that for which we are working the harmony for which we labor, the peace and wholeness of God's good and very good design, and those with whom we labor, can the good never remain an idea or an ideal? Because listen, we can always say like we're working for the good, but we never have an idea what the good is, unless we love. If we love those who we're laboring with, if we love the thing that we are doing, even if it's not a great thing, then the good becomes less of an ideal and more of an actual thing. It's always in relation, connection and commitment to the thing done. The ones we do them with and the one, to whom, to through, to the one through whom we labor. Only when there is such a depth of connection and commitment, only when there's love, can we work as we should from the soul. This is a beautiful word, right? Most of your translations, especially if you're using the ESV, it says, whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord, right? And not unto humanity, not unto men. Again, heartily wholeheartedly, or whatever your translation may be, the actual, the more literal translation is work from the soul, from the depth of your being. And if work, again, is not just the thing you're paid to do, but may include that, don't feel like there's, there's not a competition with that, right? Again, that's what we're trying to break down. It's more than what you're paid to do, not less than what you're paid to do. But whatever work you're doing, in your relationships, in your vocation, in your career, you're meant to work from your soul. Can you say that you're working from your soul right now? That your soul is free in your work, that it's whole in your work, that you give the energy of your soul into your work? 
You can't work from the soul if work is something you're trying to avoid or escape or overcome or merely get through. Even if that work, whether that work be, again, something you're paid for or a relationship that you're in. You can't work from the soul if what you are working for is little more than the product or pay you receive. You can't work from your soul if all you're working for is to get something out of the thing that you're doing. You can't work from the soul if you are working with, with if you can't work from the soul if who you are working with are mere means to an end, obstacles to that end, aids to that end, or replacement parts in a chain. In other words, if they're anything less than God's children, his image bears to. You can't work from the soul if people aren't people. In all the sense and complexity of that, that statement. To work well requires genuine love, a loving the work you've been given. Notice the primary assumption that, the, that most of whatever we do is not necessarily by choice. Most of our work at creating, making, cultivating a life good is not by choice. But like I said, in the, in the first, especially first century, but it's within the relational, cultural boundaries and limitations that we exist under the authority of others rather than under our own authority. Now again, we live in a time and place that that's not as fully true as it once was, right? So we have options to consider what we do and why we do them and all that kind of stuff that have never existed in humanity's history. That's not a bad thing. But it can be a really confusing and disheartening and struggling thing if we don't submit to the reality that whatever we do at the base of, the base of work of creating life is not done because we love it. Again, not love the thing itself. I don't think many people that were enslaved loved the labor that they did while they were enslaved, right? Whether they were bond servants or whether they had a choice in, in the matter or not, right? I'm pretty sure if you remember being a kid, whatever your parents told you to do, you didn't want to do, right? Maybe. Maybe this isn't your, your relationships with your spouse, but I'm pretty sure when one spouse tells another spouse to do something, most of the time, it's not, the first reaction is not generally like, oh, yeah, let's go. Usually it's like, oh, wait, hold on. Okay, sure, all right. You know, just, just saying that maybe that's not you. Maybe that's not you. We tend to bristle against the things when we're told to do them, right? When it feels like, we're, when it feels like we don't have the choice in them. And yet Paul's saying those are the very times and places in which you get to, out of love, do those things. Do stuff. Live. Create life. That's when life is created. That's when peace is made. The charge is not merely to love what you like, but love where and with whom you are binding everything together in harmony. Do you love where you're at? Again, culturally we'd say that, the question would be asked, for the intention of you trying to figure out where you're supposed to be. But the assumption in Scripture is that you're already where you're supposed to be. That's the assumption of the Sabbath, too. That you're already there. You're enjoying already the presence of God and being in life with God. Listen, that doesn't mean that the Lord won't lead you into somewhere else. We'll talk about that in just a second. But the question of, do I like what I'm doing or not, is not a question our scriptures ever ask. The question our scripture asks is, do you love where you're at, with whom you're at, and are doing the things that are required of you in this moment to live and to live good? 
Do you love those things? If you love those things, if you love those things, you can do well. You can live well and whole and full. Even if nothing else changes. For if you do love that for which you labor and those you labor with, then you're working with your soul as unto the Lord and not humanity. You're working for something more than them or it. For only such a love can compel you towards peace, the wholeness of relationship and work done well in the way of Jesus. Only when you can love from your soul, only when you can work from your soul, can you actually work well in the way of Jesus. And that's the key. The thing that distinguishes our work for working from love is not unique to Christians, right? You could actually find all kinds of books about loving like doing, in order to, to work well, you need to love what you work for and who you work with. That's not a uniquely Christian idea, especially in our time and place. Again, you can Google it. You can find all kinds of books on Amazon about it, right, to some degree. Loving the thing that you're doing, loving the people you're doing it with. But what makes working unique in our scriptures is, that we're, is working in the way of Jesus. Following Jesus' lead in our labor is different. Because, again, it's not just about what we enjoy that's not a negative, right? Scriptures are full of God giving us our desires of our heart. But that's not the primary place where we find wholeness. Once again, here's how Paul sees it. If we're to love that for which we work and those which we work with, we follow Jesus' lead, that's how we work well, then here's what Paul says. Whatever you do, work from the soul is for the Lord and not humanity. Knowing that same knowledge from, verse, from chapter 3, verse 10. That same word of knowing what was at creation, knowing how we were created and the rhythm we're being recreated into, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, as the product of the way you work as well as your work's product. It's not saying that if you work well, you'll get this. It's saying if, you, if you're working well, you'll receive the fullness of that which is already yours. Just as a way of reminder, what is the inheritance? It's nothing less than life with God and God with us. Ezekiel 44, this shall be your inheritance. I am their inheritance. I am their possession, says the Lord. The only way we can work well, that our words and our deeds cultivating life, is that God's life is leading, guiding, caring, and guarding, showing us the way. The only way we can work well is if not only do we love that for which we work, we love those we work with, but we're willing to be led into the work that we're doing in the way of Jesus. And remember, there's two ways to be led. Remember this in Lent. So this isn't too far back. Psalm 32. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. In other words, the way you should live the life you were created for, the good work for which you were made. I'll show you how to do this, to live this life whole and holy. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I will give you counsel right next to you. I can see you. You can know me like I'm with you. I'm not just going to give you a general idea. Here's the blueprint plan. Go follow the steps. But with you, I will teach you. I'll show you. I'll counsel you. I'll guide you into the whole and wholeness and fullness of it, into the work you're meant for. But then he says, but not like a horse or mule. So he says, here's the ideal. Here's what most of it feels like for most people. Not like a horse or mule without understanding. Those lacking the knowledge or the knowing of Colossians 3 which must be curbed and bit and bridled or it will not stay with you. 
They don't, in other words, who work in a way always fighting to go their own way, always pulling away from their master, from the good that they're actually meant to do. Work feels, can feel like, even working for the Lord, right? Even with a heart in mind, this is the assumption in Psalm, 90, in Psalm 38, 32, that you're in the Lord, but there's a way to work with the Lord that feels more like I'm fighting against Him and His work, or work is pulling me somewhere where I don't want to be. Instead of being taught and counseled in the way that we should go. Those are the two different ways to feel this. So how do we follow Jesus into the work, which is life, that is actually felt like we're taught and counseled versus like we're pulled into it by bit and bridle? Well, I'm not going to belab- belabor this point because hopefully you spent any time with Christ City, even in the last like nine months, you know this. But we open ourselves to God and ask him to lead us. It's pretty simple. It's a prayer of examine. It's Psalm 139 where we literally spent months in the fall. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Know what I know. See what I see. See where is my, is my heart single-mindedly, is my soul single-mindedly in love with the thing that I'm working for, those that I'm working with? Is it dedicated to following you into it? Know my heart. Examine me and know my disquieting thoughts, the uneasiness I feel. And see if there is be any grievous, wicked, hurtful way within me. And lead me in the way ancient and forever. That's it. It's not overly complicated. It requires intimacy. requires quiet. requires consistency. But it's not complicated. I said earlier, Sabbath, we can refuse. Work, we cannot. We can either work well or work wickedly. That is, our work can be worship, our way of honoring God by doing that which we were made to do with Him, or... Our work can be just another way that we oppose God, that we resist, rebel, and just do our own thing. And the thing is, wicked work doesn't have to be something empirically wicked. It just isn't good. It isn't done in submission. It's done in opposition and not submission. It's not done from love and with Jesus for good. It's done fighting against the very thing that we say we are for. For as Paul says it one last time in Colossians 3.25, for the one who acted wickedly would be paid for the wickedness done, and there is no favoritism. Or maybe more striking is the message's translation. The soul and servant, the one who cannot see and acknowledge the grace of God's design, who fights like a horse or a mule because they lack the understanding, because they lack the renewed knowledge of what God is doing in them, And does shoddy work, that is, does work done without love, without connection and commitment, work not from the soul, will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus does not cover up bad work. It's not enough just to say, we're Jesus followers, let's go to work. Work, in some ways, is everything we do, in words and deeds, to make, create, and cultivate life good. There's nothing too big or too small, too up front or too behind the scenes. Whatever we get paid for or whatever we don't get paid for, whether it produces something tangible or is in itself the long game of grace. Work is either done well, it's our spiritual act of worship, or work is done wicked. It tugs against the one who leads us in our labor. So, what are we doing? 
Are we working well? Are we working from our souls? Like Sabbath, so like work, we want to help each other walk in the fullness of what it means to live whole and holy. To help one another, to teach and admonish one another. To walk in the way that we say we all want to walk in. So for a few minutes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to end our time together just asking a couple questions. And so get into groups of like two or three, um, and then pick one of these questions. Just pick one, because that's all we really got time for. Um, I'll include these in the email this week. You'll have them, have them for later to think through. But are you working from your soul as from the Lord? Do you love what you are working for and those who you're working with? And if you can answer that question, I think that would be a huge thing, right? Talk about it. Let it. Don't just say yes or no. Just kind of t- flush it out. Have a conversation about it. Or maybe, are you following Jesus in your work? If you feel like you already know the answer to that, maybe, are you following Jesus into your work? Or do you feel more pulled into or by work? Let that be an indicator if you feel that tension in work. Maybe ask the Lord, why is that tension there? Is it because I'm lacking a love for those things? Like, I need to grow in my love, mature my love. We talked about it with the kids in our older kids' time before this, right? The part of of sanctification is the expectation that we'll mature in loving like God loves. That our love is not full yet. That even for the things that 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 we're in right now, maybe we don't fully do them with the kind of love that God has for them, right? That's okay. That's a normal part of growing up, of maturing in in, in Christ, right? To answer negatively to these aren't condemnation, right? To answer negatively to these, just like the psalmist when he asked, is to assume that the Lord wants more and will lead us into more, right? So let me pray for us, and I'll let you discuss. We'll have about 10 minutes, and then um, Chaz will lead us in song to close out, okay? Father, we thank you. We thank you that life anew in you is a life that's meant to be full of love. Lord, that we love deeply and passionately the places and the things and the people in which we are presently with. That allows us, Father, out of that depth of commitment, the depth of connection, Lord, to experience the fullness and connection of life with you to be ones who who do the very thing you desire us to do in obedience to you, to live a life whole and holy with you, participating in the good, no matter what the circumstances are. Lord, I thank you that in so many ways, if we really wanted to tease this out in, in so many different ways, Father, we could. But Lord, how the truth is that if we were actually people who lived this way, the evil that was overcome at the finished work of Jesus. Father, Lord, would get to be, we get to experience the freedom of that and so would our neighbors. So would those that we work for as well as those we work alongside. Give us a bigger vision of work, your vision of work, Father. Lord, and let your Spirit strengthen us to strengthen our hearts so that Christ may dwell within us so that we might work from our souls in all that is work. I thank you for my friends who long to be a part of something good and true and beautiful that lasts. 
I thank you, Father, Lord, that you've given us each other to help each other see that even in our own lives today. All this we pray because Christ lives. In his name, amen. So, chat amongst yourselves.